is Contextualize, and welcome back. Good to be with you, Jim. It's good. It's been a hot minute, I almost said, but we did it last week, didn't we? Did we? No, we didn't record it last week. Man, Thanksgiving. We did not. Right, it's been, yeah. I don't know. I was just, I'm thrown off by your hot minute. It's been a while since I've heard Man, so. I am I'm constantly trying out things that I find out I shouldn't be saying, you know? Man, we got, I think it was when you weren't here, but somehow we got in a discussion last week about slang from our, like, growing up. You know, oh, like yeah. The 90s when we were growing up with, like, Troy and I and Samantha was talking. Or, uh, so Samantha if you say, if you say this is so rad. Oh, no, that's a little, it's a little older than me. That's there. older than you or more West Coast? <laughs> I mean, it was there, but <laughs> it was, uh, what was, uh, crunk was one of the funny words. Yeah. That was there. I mean, I'm, it was fresh on my mind last week. Oh, hey, you just said fresh. Fresh, fresh I fire. I mean, these things, uh, that's so fire. Man, it's so fire. <laughs> Slang's a funny thing. Yeah. yeah, we're doing Christmas shopping online at our house, and someone might look at something like, Dad, check it out. These are so fire. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that means awesome. You know? They're hot. Hot. So. Yeah. Man, well, anyways, um, we're going to jump into Second Samuel 13 today. But... Uh, before that, just give a couple words. Uh, today's December 1st, and uh, so we're in a new month, but next Thursday, so a week from today, yep. we're having our um, Sojourning Together Banquet Evening. And uh, you actually, like just before this, just sat and talked with two of our other elders. Yeah, and just so had a meeting about that. In fact, Friday. you said, hey, should we begin the podcast with a reference to that? And my answer is abundantly yes, because I'm very excited about it. And back when we first started these podcasts, I remember I would laugh at myself for how often I'd say like amazing or something like that. So I don't want to say excited over and over or some other adjective, but uh, I am excited and I think it's going to be a special evening. So we've got a lot of you signed up. I mean, very thankful. We could not have fit it in our building just to let everybody know that that's why we are doing this at a special venue there over above Southern Craft at the gallery. It's mm-hmm. called. Yeah. Um, but it's an evening where we will just consider that each of us has a story that God has written. And what he does in a local church, I think, if we're going to be the kind of community we're called to be, yeah. is he weaves our stories together. Yeah. And in our church tradition, predominantly in a Presbyterian Reformed congregation, we just we really lean into, we celebrate God's providence, his sovereignty over everything. His sovereignty over our salvation, Ephesians mm-hmm. 1. But even at parts of scripture where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10 that our spheres of influence are under God's governing authority. So yeah. if you think through you and I sitting in this room, for example, there are two independent stories. But our story is sort of attached six years ago when you and I met. Mm-hmm. And yeah. God was doing yeah. different things in your and Krista's home and right. mine and Corey's home. And that's true across everybody, everybody that here. is a part of our body. Yeah. So yeah. the goal of this evening is going to be testimonies. AJ's going to lead a panel discussion with some folks to talk about their story and how mm-hmm. their stories have woven together at Christ Community. And then I'm thankful that... I don't want to say the original two elders, but two of the elders that were here when I moved here as pastor at the end of 2016, Ken and Hal, are going to talk with me, alongside me, about the providence of what happened six years ago when mm-hmm. when my family moved here. Yeah. And what does it look like just to sense God's absolute authority of who he brings into the body and for us to celebrate that and, and savor it. Um, and so the heart of the evening is that those listening and those speaking would be keenly aware 
of the mercy of God's providence to bring us all together. And yeah. we have had hard days as a church. Some of those hard days precede my time here. Some of those hard things have been shepherding or facility situations since I've been here. Yeah. We will have hard days in the future Yeah, where God is disciplining us. He's growing us. He's pruning us. These, these hardships could have to do with families in our church. They could have to do with the facility. They could have to do with geopolitical things. I don't know. Yeah. But one thing we do believe is that we're together in the story that God's writing. And so that's the goal. If you yeah. have not signed up, Still can. You yeah. can, and quite frankly, you must. <laughs> you must. I mean, this is going to be an evening you will not want to miss. We're not recording it because we're not, I don't think we're going to record it. Uh, it's a no. special, elegant evening. It's yeah. not a class. It's not teaching. It's going to be very intimate, and yeah. uh, the food's going to be great. It's a very elegant evening, so anticipate yeah. a special gala-ish, banquet-ish evening. Yeah. Be great. Please sign up if you have. Yeah, it. and so if, if you haven't signed up and you are able to come or available that evening, um, you can just get in contact with Shannon, um, or I mean any of us, but Shannon's the one who's uh, tracking that. But yeah, excited for it. Um, well, excited no, for this chapter. No easy way to transition from that to the chapter that's before us, and um, you know I've mentioned a couple times that in uh, our community group we've been walking through judges and we're in samson now which is he's he's fun uh, for a variety of reasons but uh in judges we're confronted with some similar stories to this one where it's just man this there's just misery and sin and it's just hard and so that's kind of what we're going to get into today and um can i can i link it to advent as we go sure yeah so we're in the season of advent yeah and advent just considering the anticipation of a savior who would be the light that would bring the things in the dark to visibility as well as be the light that could purify and cleanse the darkness and the uncleanliness uh, of sin and its destruction and so just to keep that in mind right now as we yeah. read this, just this past Lord's Day, as I did the genealogy in Matthew 1, there were some dark stories. Judah and Tamar, a different Tamar. <laughs> Judah and Tamar, or mm-hmm. Bathsheba, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rahab, a scandalous woman. Yeah. You could name these stories of sin and mm-hmm. darkness that... Through them, God was writing that story that was going to bring about a Savior who'd be the light of the world. So yeah. I think just keeping that in mind yep. as we look at this, it's good. because it's dark. Yeah, so just before we jump into 13, um, just a reminder right where we've been, uh, really the last couple chapters, last two chapters, I guess, have looked at David's sin with Bathsheba, and then with Uriah, and then his um, hiding of that, his ignoring of that until God really graciously but firmly brings Nathan, uh, the prophet, to rebuke him. And so David does repent there, um, and then, but his, his child still dies. There's still judgment for that. But then uh, Solomon will be born through Bathsheba. And then the end of the chapter, and we talked about this last time, but um, it does go back to where the, the scene began in chapter 11, that um, there's this victory over the Ammonites. And so what we're going to read today is very personal, and it's following up on what we just read in the last couple chapters. And yeah. we'll explore, I'm sure, how those connections are made. But at the beginning of the chapter, uh, we meet uh, three people, three characters. We've got Absalom, 
He's the son of David. Uh, we've got Tamar, who is a beautiful sister of his. And then we've got Amnon, who is also uh, David's son. And if you go back to chapter 3, we, you'll find there that Amnon is David's firstborn. Absalom is David's thirdborn. And so different women. And so Tamar is kind of in, in, has the same mother as, as Absalom. Um, Amnon is, is different. So Tamar's his half-sister. Yeah. Um, but we find, it, even in verse 1, that Amnon loved Tamar. And that's that's what's going to carry through this. And so uh, Amnon is all torn up about this. Uh, he, he wants Tamar, but doesn't have her. And uh, one of uh, his relatives sees this, Jonadab. And basically, Jonadab leads uh, Amnon to hatch this crafty plan. And, and basically, fake like you're sick. And let's call Tamar in to kind of serve you and take care of you, kind of nurse you to health. Uh, and, and so he does this. Uh, David, in verse 7, sends, uh, sends for Tamar, um, says, hey, go, go take care of your brother, prepare food for him. And so she does that. And, uh, and Amnon, um, at, at, in verse 9, just is refusing to eat, sends everyone out of the room. And so now it's just him and his half-sister Tamar. And this is where it really begins to get yeah. ugly. And so he calls her over that, that he may eat from her hand. But then verse 11, when she had brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> everything that's going on in his heart, everything that he desires is coming out in his actions and in his words. And now, go ahead. No, I mean, the wording too. When he, there's so many layers to this we could go. So uh -huh. just to finish out what you're saying, because you're walking through the narrative. She says, don't violate me. Yep. Right. That word can also mean humiliate. Right. And then she says, because in Israel, we're God's people. This is an outrageous thing that must not be done. So I think you could say, as she mentions Israel, she's referencing God's law and God's people to be living under God's law. Um, and then she says in 13, where would I go in my shame? If you do this, if you violate me, where will I go in my shame? And so she's she's pressing into truth to try to plead with her half-brother not to do this outrageously sinful thing. But yeah. he was stronger than her, and the text says that he violated her. Yeah. Um, the layers that just pop out quickly is the wording that I see, AJ, that mm -hmm. you were just describing. Amnon loved her. Yeah. But then we read in verse 2 that Amnon was so tormented he made himself sick. Yeah. Which isn't, that's not steadfast love. That's not the kind of love that God has given to his people. Or uh, desire. And it's lust, lust and self-love, yeah. you know, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, he wants to take from her yeah. to satisfy himself. And so, you know, you have radically acted upon lust. You have a plan be hatched. So others are going to help him get what he wants. Yeah. And then even in seven, you have, I think, this moment where without any elaboration, the narrator tells us that David just did what was asked of him. And yet if it's the David we've seen throughout, he has been keen and wise at times. He's a man and a king of justice. Now he has recently radically sinned. And of course, it's been many years since then, but... You still have the king who 
exudes mm-hmm. confidence in God's law. He's had a repentant heart when he sinned. Mm-hmm. He is a king who's supposed to be protecting God's people. He right. is the head of his household. Yeah. And he has shown wisdom at times yeah. to discern who's righteous and who's evil. And yet in verse 7, David sends and does what's asked to make sure she goes to tend her half-brother. Yeah. He's implicated somehow in this without him being an acting agent, I would just say. He's... Yeah, he participates in a in a plan. He's kind of deceived into it. Yeah, that's that's point. right. Yeah. So there's just so many layers here. Of, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I mean, thinking about that as a father, I mean, how this is gonna. I mean, how it would would tear up him as father um, as he learns later what happens. Well, one of the things that strikes me in in this is her her response. Um, right, he he makes his plea. And then her response is, is don't. But then in 13, and, and you mentioned this, she says, as for me, where could I carry my shame? As for you, you would have done, you would be as one of the outrageous fools. And so like, she actually is highlighting that like, this is, this is going to be a bad thing for both of us. If you follow through on this, like she sees her own shame in it, but she also sees his and is highlighting both of those. He, he's just ignorant of it all or blind to it all. Might be a better way to say it. Um, now, and, and then she even says, now, please speak to the yeah. king, but he won't withhold you, me from you. So, so like, if you do this in the honorable way, then the, the king will grant you what it's, you it's, ask. It's an honorable thing. It's good. It's, it's fine. Yeah. But this illicit taking, she's telling him, yeah, it, it violates every part of God's law and yeah. it makes him a fool. And then he does violate her and he lays with her. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take long in these verses to see the sinful desires prompting action to satisfy those desires and then those desires not being satisfied at all. Yeah. And we see yeah. it in verse right. 15 right. that this woman that he loved, he was so sick when he was around her because he wanted her so badly that the shame and the disgrace of his own actions color everything and he hates her yeah in verse 15 hated her with a very great hatred so that the hate with so so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he loved i mean it, you can't say it stronger than that it 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 makes me want to vomit to think about just how much sin robs yeah beauty and dignity uh-huh and also sin does not deliver on the twisted desires that sin and the enemy of our soul causes us to want to act upon. Yeah. He hates the thing he thought he couldn't live without. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about it. You could say in one regards he got what he wanted and it wasn't what he wanted. In another way you would say he didn't get anything real mm-hmm. he just has to live now with shame yeah he actually he has less than what he began with yeah i mean it i mean her her response here too is striking to me in just i mean tamar in this story uh, obviously uh, has much to be pitied and a lot of compassion but she she shows um rather honorable as well even like she responds how she did in the first case when he makes that outrageous plea. And then after he sends her out in verse, or she says, get up and go in his hatred, verse 16, she says, no, 
for this wrong and sending me away is greater than that that you did to me to begin with. And so, like, she somehow, like, she still is trying to appeal to what would be the right thing in, I mean, right after this happened. Like, it, and then his response, so verse 14, after she, her, her first thing, it says, he would not listen to her. Verse 16 at the end, after she says that, but he would not listen to her. So he's just this consistent, wrapped up in his sin and in himself. So. And there's a part of, go ahead, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to keep going through, but. We'll go through and then I'll. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to get through some of the story and we'll, um, so she leaves, I mean, she's kicked out. He locks the door via his servant. And then she she wear she tears um, the sleeves of her robe, and puts ashes on her head, uh, which would be a sign that, she, that her virginity has been taken. Um, so she's has the sign of mourning, the sign that her her virginity is no longer there. Um, she makes it to Absalom, who is her full brother, and he says, "Has Amnon your brother been with you?" Um, and then we read in verse twenty one, or sorry. Uh, so she lives with him, and then King David heard of all these things. He was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon. So now you have one brother hating his other brother. You have the father hearing of this and being angry, but we hear of no action when there ought to be action. And so this, the whole family is in turmoil now. And then verse 23, two years go by. Yeah. To, let's go ahead and walk through the, what happened in yeah. the chapter, and then I think we can go even into some yeah. real stark things to All consider. Right, so two years later, Absalom makes his play. <laughs> and he's been stewing on this, yeah. hating his brother, not speaking a word to him for two years. But he basically is going to have a family gathering. Yep. Uh, he wants everybody there, um, but David is, is not going to go. But then Absalom says, well, at least send at Amnon. At least send my brother. And and David yeah. says, he, you know, why? And but he ends up giving into it. Yep. And so he goes as well as all the king's sons. So all the sons are there in verse 27. Verse 28, Absalom commanded his servants. Basically, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. And that's exactly what they do. So so Amnon is, is murdered by his brother. His brothers. And then the king, the, all the other king's sons rise up and get out of there, yep. which is the sensible thing to do. So then in 30 to 33, first news gets back to David that all of his sons have been murdered by Amnon. But then Jonadab, who we met earlier in the chapter, says, no, it wasn't that. It was just Amnon yep. who's been murdered because Absalom's been determined to do this since the day that he violated and raped Tamar. Um, now, therefore, uh, okay, so so Amnon, yep. Amnon's dead. And then we get to 34 Absalom to flees. 39. So Absalom gets out of there. Um, and then... I'm trying to remember what happens with it. Uh, 38, Absalom fled, went to Gesher, and was there for yeah. three years. Yeah, so just basically so. the way the chapter ends is now now there's not just murder or hatred. You actually now have Absalom is gone yeah. for three years, and we read in 39 that David's heart longed to go out to Absalom. Mm-hmm. And lost in this a little bit, is we did read that Tamar was a basically a desolate woman, broken woman inside mm-hmm. of yeah. Absalom's house. Yeah, verse 20. So where is she now? You know? Yeah. 
Right. Because like her, her, her brother provider. was the one caring for her yeah. because of the violation that she'd suffered. Yeah. So the reason I just, I mean, my face is sort of contorted. I'm thinking of what to say because I think that part of what we do is we don't just look at this and say, hey, look, the family line of Jesus is full of sinners that need a savior. We right. can say that. Right. But this is real enough that I think we also should say prof- prophetically. And we should hear it ourselves, you and me, AJ and Jim. But to anybody hearing this, this is God's word about what sin does. Mm-hmm. And it is egregious in its violation of God's holy law. And it, and it harms, and it shames, and it robs, and it takes. And then the taking often has, it, it piles up. Yeah. And it destroys homes. Yeah. Now, can God redeem it all? Yes, he can. Is he merciful? And will he forgive those who repent based on their violation of his law? Yes, he is merciful. But this chapter and its tentacles of consequence that just keep going must be heard as I think through our own culture. Uh And that, oh, pornography and lust. Oh, adultery and fornication. Oh, no, not only is nobody satisfied in the story, but a home is wrecked. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that we need to take to heart as opposed to just quickly running past the historic scene and looking for hope. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just thinking about that in regards reading the Bible, I mean, this chapter, just where we ended it, I mean, this isn't the whole story. We're going to get to chapter 14 next, but this chapter, there's really not, I don't know, I don't see a glimmer of hope in it. Like, there's nothing that I see that the narrator's trying to tell us, oh, but this. You know, it's just, it's just all bad. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that, that should cause us, like you're saying, when we read this, like, we need to sit in that. Um, and we can run to the other by contrast, but we need to sit in the pain first. Um, something that makes me think of is something my wife has said often to, to our kids is that sin always brings pain. And sometimes you don't, I mean, sin never tells you that. <laughs> uh, you're never, you're always deceived the other way. And sometimes you don't know what the pain is going to be or you're even after sin, you're like, ah, there's not that much. But but sin always brings pain. And this, this chapter just beautifully, not beautifully, uh, tragically, vividly displays that in in how Tamar, um, who's described as a, his beautiful sister at the beginning, at the the last thing said about her is she is a desolate woman living with a brother. Um, you have one brother dead after sin and then hatred and shame and guilt all wrapped up in that. You have another brother who murdered his brother and then has now fled and is away from his father. Well, one of the reasons I think you say that there's not much hope in this is even the need for justice is not executed by the king. Yeah. So yeah. the the loss of Amnon's life, the taking of his life, the consequence of death, yeah, was brought on by revenge. Yeah. Stewing hatred. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't brought on. There was not no consequence just, brought on yeah. by a just arbiter. Yeah. Yeah. Who is going to restore what was taken? And I think it is fair to say I was in a conversation with someone this morning and the word repair was used when it came to relational sin. Like what is needed to repair something? And you take a chapter like this and you think, did Absalom's actions repair this? No, because now he's gone three years. No. Did, did David's awareness and anger I, in isolation and not associated with some just action, did it repair? No. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. We don't have any repair in the chapter. I guess right. it's kind of what you and I are both seeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what we do have, though, is in Old Testament narrative, it is tremendously important to consider the words that are chosen to be given to us as the reader. Uh-huh. There's so many things in here that do not have to be spoken. Right. Like, for example, that we have Tamar share such strong words pleading with her brother to not to do such an outrageous thing. Yeah. That he would be a fool in Israel if he does. Yeah. And that she would have no way to cover her shame. And then she goes out in shame. Like that's included in this for us to think through the weight, the gravitas, the pain, the shamefulness yeah. of this sin that affected an entire family. Yeah. Um, I think that's just important for us to think through. This whole narrative could be shorter, could be different, but it's not. In God's Holy Spirit's design, it's given to us with such specificity. And it stretches over years. Yeah. Two years, Absalom stews on us. Then three years, he's isolated from his own family, kind of runs uh-huh. away and hides. Yeah. And let me make one more connection, and then we can kind of bring it home to how we want. But the previous chapter, the previous two chapters, David sins sexually, and then David sins and murders. It's the same two things we see here. When Nathan comes and speaks to David in chapter 12, In verse 10, he says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and I've taken the wife of your eye to be your wife. That's from the Lord. Um, And then, I mean, that's the... And then we read about David's child dying, and then about Solomon being born. But the next story, in a personal way for David's life, is about two sons and a daughter, sexual sin of a grievous nature, and hatred leading to murder. I mean, it's... It's the sword not departing from his house. Yeah, like David's, I mean, he's reaping what he's sowed um, in the previous chapter with his own sin. And it, we mentioned, I think, last time that, um, like the verses throughout Scripture, but um, we see it in the Ten Commandments of God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children. And, I mean, we, we see that lived out um, here. And so, I mean, I think David's implicated by his silence, right? There's a lack of justice in this chapter, but he's also implicated here. Because it's it's consequence of his previous sin of turning away from the Lord, yeah. um, but now coming to bear in a very personal, real, tragic way. So, allow me to think of two applications, kind of for us, and maybe I got two thoughts. One is that in our culture, it is often said that as long as no one gets hurt, then sexually deviating desires are okay. Yeah. Right. Right, I can lust after what I want as long as I keep it hidden. Now, I think most would agree this was not consensual and someone took something from someone, so it's very much a full violation. Yeah, right. But what we see consistent with the Scripture's teaching is well before the act of taking and violating his sister, his half-sister, is the sick, twisted, lust-filled, you know, let-to-run-loose passion. Like to the point of torment. Yeah. So when we see the New Testament discuss sexual sin, it is, and, and I think we talk about this a lot at Christ Community, and I don't know who's listening and whether you're in a church context that talks openly, but our connection to illicit sexual desires or wrongful desires of anger, any passion. Mm-hmm. We've just been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus yeah. says strong things about if your eye causes you to lust after a woman. You've committed adultery with her in your heart. Just like if you are angry at your brother, you're liable to the same judgment of murder. So we have been trying to 
emphasize that because that's where we're at in the scriptures. But look at what it looks like on display. Yeah. That if you take Jesus' interpretation, the fornicating dark reality occurred in the heart of Amnon before his action. Right. Yeah. And so I just want to caution all of us that to say, well, my private sexually deviating desires that are not consistent with God's desire, design, excuse me, if I get comfortable with them, they will twist and morph into something that is an increasing violation of that law because I won't be satisfied, so I have to turn to something worse and worse and worse. This is a story then that shows rape Uh as the net result of that. Yeah. And it's tragic. So we, we cannot... We cannot dismiss this or we can't talk it down, but I think it's important for us to say, well, yes, not every sexually deviating desire leads to rape. That's true. Mm-hmm. But this is what sin left unaccounted. Uh, left sin, sin doesn't stop growing up on its own. Right. I mean, it just keeps... Sin always wants more. Right. It never gets... Yeah, and so then that's yeah. one thing. A Got second it. application is God's design for biblical sexuality is not taking... It's self-emptying and giving, and that's all of the New Testament, First Corinthians, particularly as Paul writes about the, you know, what sex has been designed for. So yeah. we have to think through creational design and a redemptive design, which does not give us freedom to say that even inside of marriage or even inside of, you know, a, a boundary that God has set in His law, sex is still not for satisfying my sick heart that needs someone's body to be given to me. Yeah, right. it's not what it was designed right. for. So I think that's a second thing. Yeah, and I think the, the, the third. I said I had two things, but the third thing is we need a gospel, a good news, mm-hmm. that includes God addressing the magnitude of suffering for sin. Mm. And so what comes to my mind mm-hmm. is you think through the seed of David, Jesus is going to come from the line of David, the rescuing one, the son of David promised, when Jesus suffered the injustice of his cross. We now have a God that has revealed himself to be a God who suffered shameful injustice and yeah. sin. Yeah. On our behalf, as a part of the consequence of sin, yeah. because sin's consequence is yeah. shame and darkness yeah. and pain. Yeah. And so I think as I don't try to throw a layer of hope on this too quickly... The first step in consider- connecting this to the gospel of Jesus is the amount of suffering and darkness and grossness and shame in this chapter mm-hmm. is the amount of suffering and darkness and grossness and shame on the cross mm-hmm. that Jesus underwent yeah. for sinners yeah. who need some pathway to remove the shame and the darkness of the yeah. sin. Yeah, that's, that's good. I'm, it makes me think of 2 Corinthians 5.21 um, that he became sin for us, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us. And thinking about, I guess, connecting the two ideas. If this if this chapter vividly illustrates the Sermon on the Mount idea that sin takes place in the heart and then that overflows in the actions, and that's that's in the first half. That's also what we see with Absalom, right? He hates for two years and it leads to murder. Um, and so, what that means is that every sin that lurks and is found or finds or tries to grow in a nook and cranny deep down in my heart, like every single one of those has to be laid on Jesus. And so he had to take like that sin, whatever, however dark it is, however, wherever it's hiding, whatever it is, has to be laid on him. And if he doesn't take it to that depth, 
that I, right. I'm still where I am. Right, and then how do I lay it on Jesus? It had to be laid on Jesus. The scripture says by repentance and faith for yeah. every single corner and you know our presumptuous sins. Yes, there's sins we don't know we're committing. They had to be laid on Christ. But every yeah. time my desire is distorting what God's good design is. And every time I'm confronted by it, by his word and by his spirit, I must lay it on Christ through repentance yeah. and acknowledge what he took for me so that shame can be taken yeah. away. Yeah. Um, let me go back to our beginning, uh, which was an in- invitation to come to an el- elegant evening of our stories being woven together. There are stories of people coming to faith for shame to be covered with a parallelism to a harsh, gross chapter like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I can think of names of people in our congregation who are like Tamar, but there may be. Mm-hmm. Or who have sinned as grievous as Absalom or as Amnon. Mm-hmm. There may be. Yeah. But what does it look like that we worship God only through the finished work of Jesus who can and does offer shame-covering restoration for those whose sin is shame or for those who feel shame because of someone else's sin against them. And so as we, we're not going to talk about these harsh, dark realities at our elegant evening we have next Thursday night, but we'd be fools to think that people come to Jesus just because of some little tweak they need in their life to make things better when they're mostly good anyway. Mm -hmm. No, we, there are stories and there needs to be expectantly more stories of people who have come from self-justified, twisted desires that they couldn't stop unless God's Holy Spirit would rescue them from them and they repent of them. We're going to have stories of people who come out of deep sexual sin, people that come out of deep passions of anger, hatred, Mm -hmm. and, and God could, and it would not be outside of real expectation that he would even do that. Now, in a local church in Johnson City, um, we'd be fools to read a a chapter like this and think it's so far away from us. So that's the other thing I would just say is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we do community groups and discipleship groups is not that we just throw our dirty laundry out there. But man, don't go to a community group or be in a discipleship group without being aware that you might hear a story Mm -hmm. that is harder to hear and darker to tell than maybe your own story or the kinds of stories that are supposed to be told. Yeah. And that would be consistent with what God's yeah. doing in his kingdom of redemption. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's both stories of sins committed or sins that we do and also sins that we've received, so to yeah. speak. I mean, you know, think of Tamar in this story. Yep. Uh, but both of those bring darkness and difficulty and, and shame and guilt and different all manner of things. Because of the way God sees us, do we not have Old Testament narrative prophecies saying that basically... You're a pure bride. You're whole. These are the kinds of things that a Tamar would need to know if there is a God who saw her pain. Right. Yeah. And there is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very important in a chapter like this not just to talk about sins committed, but sins suffered. Yeah, sins suffered. Yep. All right. Think on that. Yeah. Lord, bless and keep you this week. Thanks. Thanks.